You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. This is a special edition of Bloomberg Technology. Coming up this hour, add Amazon, Genesis, trading, stitch fix to the long list of tech companies, cutting costs by laying off staff. But this is the macro picture. The ADP projects a stronger than expected jobs report for tomorrow. Plus, the director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency tells me that cyber safety is a public good that demands, quote, radical transparency. We discuss with CrowdStrike CEO George Kurtz. And Ed, surrounded by electric and autonomous vehicle technology over at CES, we'll hear from Mobileye CEO, an ambition to target self-driving tech to hit the streets. But first... Let's check in on the here, the now, the reality is the markets. And the reality that is good news is once again bad news if you're along these markets. S&P 500 off by 1.1%. NASDAQ Big Tech taking the hit off by more than 1.5%. And that's because the macro picture once again looks resilient when you look at the jobs picture. The ADP number coming in stronger than expected. Those jobless claims once again showing resiliency. This just means the Federal Reserve has the bandwidth to keep on raising rates. And many in the market therefore anticipating that the terminal rate where interest rates will eventually go from the is about 5% by mid-2023. We continue to therefore see bullishness in terms of where the dollar goes. We expect interest rates to go higher. The dollar goes higher too. We're up about 5 tenths, 6 tenths of percent. Flick it on. Let's dive into the micro because with Ed out in CES, I wanted to do a little bit of the individual companies. Western Digital talks of a merger. Now, amid some of this concern around the market and indeed deals being done, well, maybe Western Digital will team up with its Japanese well competitor and maybe that force will be for good. We're seeing the stock rise. 6.6%. Silvergate, though, not a good news story. Let's look at, of course, a very crypto-related lender. Crypto capital is currently 42% lower. Why? Well, because they're axing 40% of their staff after, of course, the amount of fall in crypto assets meant that people drew down their deposits. They had to sell their own assets off at a discount, and it means that the company is therefore in some grave issues. Silvergate Capital, as they say, one of the worst performers. Amazon, off by more than 2%. And Ed, this is again all about jobs. This is about when we get a strong picture coming from the macro. What about the micro picture in technology? What about Amazon saying 18,000 jobs are now to go as they try to really rebalance where the costs come into this business? Ed, I know you are all about the latest product, the latest unveiling, but you've got to be hearing about chat from that on the floor of CES. 
Yeah, there's certainly lots of fanfare right here in Las Vegas, but I've spoken to bankers and investors, for example, who are in attendance, and you cannot get away from what's happening in the world of technology. I think what I'm hearing is that broadly, they're talking about how hard it is out there, the difficulty in raising funds, the difficulty in managing the macro environment, whether you are a startup exhibiting here for the first time on the showroom floor, or you're one of the many hundreds of Fortune 500 companies that have gone big on the event. This is a speed dating opportunity, right? You have some of the world's biggest CEOs, investors, their bankers, their top customers, all in one place for three days of the year to start the year. And of course, they are talking about what is happening in this global economy. And of course, not just trying to pitch to the consumer their latest innovations, but also what's happening with the consumer in general. Indeed. And of course, the job layoffs are a reflection of some of that worry around the consumer overall. We've got to dig into that story. Well, of course, we bring in a key name, a key voice on all things Amazon and indeed all things technology. It is one Brad Stone Bloomberg's head of global tech coverage. He's, of course, the author of Amazon Unbound and the Everything Store. And to put it in perspective, Brad, 18,000 is kind of a drop in the bucket when you look at the overall hiring and talent that Amazon has. But still, it signifies something. It certainly does. Um, you go back 20 years ago after the dot-com bust and Amazon was laying people off, and Jeff Bezos had a mantra, and it was the only way out of this is to invent our way out. And I think that the charge right now from Andy Jassy is much different. It's the only way out of this is to cut our way out. And that's because if you look at the retail business, the oldest business at Amazon, it's just in really bad shape. It lost about $2.5 billion last quarter, but if you back out advertising, it's probably much more or $10 billion. It's hard to believe. And some of that, of course, is investments in, in video and autonomous driving, other experiments. But the basic oldest business at Amazon is miserably unprofitable. Investors are clamoring for Jassy to improve it. And his metal is really going to be tested over these next few quarters and years. And he's starting by cutting the cost structure. It's tough for Andy Jassy. How much does he have the confidence of an investor base? How much does he have the confidence of the founder of the business? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's always worth noting that he inherited a lot of these problems. It was Bezos and maybe the distracted final years of his tenure at Amazon who authorized the major pre-pandemic and mid-pandemic expansion of fulfillment centers, of product lines, geographic expansion. And a lot of that, Jassy has had to kind of kind of unwind and narrow some of the ambitions and place more strategic bets. I think he does have the confidence of, of uh, investors, like there's no act activist investor at Amazon. There's there's fantastical rumor about Bezos coming back. That'll never happen. Jassy is the CEO for these next couple of years, but I think it's going to be a big test. He's known for what he did at AWS, and now he has to prove himself as CEO of the whole business. It was only just the other day, right, Brad, that you were speaking to Dave Limp, who kind of runs the devices business. Do we have any kind of sense of the granularity where Amazon's cutting, where it got too bloated and needs to pull back? Because Andy Jassy was an AWS guy, and you'd imagine that that part of the business is almost sacred. Absolutely. I mean, du you know, double-digit growth rates uh, for for the for at least the near-term future. Still, the engine of Amazon. You know, le leave it alone. Dave Limp on the devices side got in touch actually with myself and my colleague Matt Day to say that the the reductions in his group were more limited than people thought. And this is my my point. Th these eighteen thousand layoffs are in the core business. It's retail, and then it's it's HR and recruiting because if you're not hiring, you don't need the recruiters. So this is really Jassy looking at the cost structure for the very 
basic part of the business. Last year was about winnowing down the experiments that, that, weren't, that weren't working. This year is about right-sizing that main core part of the business, retail, and showing investors that Amazon's oldest business is still a good one. We just showed that beautiful chart on the screen, which kind of demonstrates the 18,000 jobs being cut. In the grand scheme of Amazon's size, it is small, but it's never pleasant, of course, to lose one's job. Um, it's not the only tech name either that's, that's taking this action, Brad. Salesforce also kind of building out uh, already reported plans to kind of downsize. What do we know? Right, uh, 8,000 layoffs, uh, smaller than at Amazon, but more consequential because that's 10% of the staff. But look, the story is still the same. If you're a, if you're a fast-growing company, investors are okay with low margins. But when growth rates slow, they want to see profitability. And Salesforce, for the first time in as long as I can remember, is guiding for the current quarter under a 10% growth rate. Okay, that is not great. Uh, at, you know, at the same time, they've got Starboard, uh, an activist investor, clamoring for them to cut costs. You have executives like Brett Taylor, who was the co-CEO, leaving. Stuart Butterfield at Slack, leaving. Um, you know, big inflated headcounts from recent acquisitions like Tableau that they're now cutting back on. So it, it's a, in, in, in many respects the same story. Investors are getting impatient and they want to see tech companies now show more profitability. Brad. Great to catch up with you. And, well, for many of you, they're still thinking that the worst is still to come. So still more reports on that. Brad Stone, of course, he's our Bloomberg's head of global tech coverage. And, well, you might, of course, have caught some of the headlines coming out of crypto that are also jobs related. Just remember, we're thinking about Genesis. They're cutting about 30% of their headcount. We've also heard from the likes of Silvergate Capital. I was talking about it earlier, laying off 40%. There's also a barrage of headlines around U.S. authorities closing in on Sam Bankman-Fried's inner circle. New York prosecutors suing Celsius's. Alex Machinsky, of course, for fraud, and Fanatics slashing its stake in SoftBank-backed NFT firm, Canny Digital. Whew, there is only one woman in the business who can take us through all these different headlines. Shanali Basak is in the house. Where do we start? Can we start with the jobs cut, just because we've come off the back yeah. of Amazon and the likes? I mean, Silvergate, absolutely dramatic move in the share price on the back of dramatic moves they're having to make. There's a lot of concerns that have been drawing around Silvergate for a while now, given their exposure to the crypto industry. A few interesting things here to note here, because $8.1 billion of a run on deposits here, and more than $700 million worth of a loss on securities because they had to foresell, essentially, here. But interestingly, you have analysts coming out and saying there are very few banks that could sit there and take $8 billion worth of withdrawals here and run on deposits. So there is a two-sided story here, but again, it's something to watch very, very, very closely because seriously, $8 billion of deposits usually uh, run on deposits leads usually to more runs on deposits. So have they stemmed the bleeding here? Uh, Genesis, I actually think the reason that is so interesting with the 30% job cut issue is that broader issue, you're looking at systemic risk here, not just these single one-off issues, is it's Genesis Global Trading that is facing a lot of these cuts. Genesis Global Trading, remember, did not halt its activity. It was Genesis Lending, the subsidiary that had halted withdrawals. So the fact now that you're seeing issues here financially and uh, looking to stem issues here through the vein of job cuts for a larger part of this digital currency group empire is really the heart of the issue. 
Sonali, hello from Las Vegas. Another busy day for you, my friend. It's hard to keep track of all the headlines from the crypto community from here in Las Vegas. Folks are talking about it. I think there's a big focus still on SBF, right? And, and the latest with what's happening with him. There's a probe, I believe, into SB, an SBF confidant. What's the latest there? I would take a look at it this way, because remember, we have Nishad Singh now. There's already been Caroline Ellison, and there's already been Gary Wang, who have pled guilty when you look at the counts brought forward, the criminal counts brought forward by U.S. authorities. Now, the question then becomes about Nishad Singh, who is another deputy, part of the penthouse suite here, in the state in the Bahamas penthouse when it came to where Sam Bankman-Fried lived. This man was also close to Sam Bankman-Fried's brother, friends with him since high school, and a director of engineering over at FTX, so very part of the inner circle here. So we have now that authorities are looking more closely at him as well. We don't know whether he'll be accused of any wrongdoing. We don't know whether he's cooperating. Both of those facts will become very, very important when we look at this overall investigation into the FTX empire itself. Who knew what and who did what when it came to customer money and uh, potentially taking it? Remember, they were accused here uh, of taking the money and paying for personal assets at the end of the day. Talking about customer money, people taking it and accusations. Tish James getting busy to start off the year, of course. She's the Attorney General of New York. And looking at Celsius, another key area that just crumbled in 2022. There have been so many strong words crossing wires this week. And I want to read what Letitia James had said in the statement about Alex Mashinsky here of Celsius, who had said, uh, Letitia James saying he promised to lead investors to financial freedom, but led them down a path of financial financial ruin. Remember, when we talked about crypto the last couple of years, we talked about whether these big lenders, what the responsibility to investors was when they're not FDIC insured like a typical lender is in the United States. And what the Attorney General is really telling you here, the New York Attorney is telling you, is that uh, they are responsible for customer money regardless of that backstop or not. And so that is a really important precedent, let alone the issue that Alex Mashinsky here in Celsius is facing. So all of these stories, it is worth broadening out and saying, what does this mean for other lenders in the space at a time where we're already concerned? The industry has been so concerned about that big pullback of lending in the industry. Uh, It will be interesting to see how this plays out. Remember, Celsius is also going through its own process here. And now what you're having is Alex Masinski really being accused here of, uh, of running a scheme that ran for years before freezing withdrawals. All right, Bloomberg's crypto, Wall Street, all things finance correspondent Shanali Basak, thank you very much. There's still some focus on consumer gadgets and electronics at CES this year. Samsung, for example, is thinking about cheaper, multifunctional devices. The electronics giant is showing off a new $200 version of its A-series budget smartphone. The A14 5G has a new upgraded 13-megapixel front-facing camera and a 6.6-inch screen. With an economic slowdown globally, Samsung's hoping that entry-level phone appeals to more budget-conscious consumers. Mid-tier smartphones were hit in 2022, and more expensive handsets could be hit in 2023. The Korean tech giant's also thinking about what you're doing at home. Samsung's betting that doubling up a new smart home control device as a wireless charging pad will help it beat competition from the likes of Amazon. 
the smarting station costs $80 and can connect to a user's phone or tablet. The hub can also be used to operate smart home accessories wirelessly. Think fridges, thermostats, locks and lights. And to set it apart, Samsung's added that wireless charging to the hub to give juice to your phones and your earbuds. So that's what it's like, Caro, out on the ex exhibition floor, right? We're there in Samsung's booth looking at their latest products. We're kind of poking fun at the idea that CES has been all about cars for so long. You forget <laughs> there are some consumer electronics. And I thought it was so interesting that Samsung did focus on the low end, right? $200, yeah. budget conscious consumer, value for money, not the dazzling $1,000 handsets that perhaps others have focused on in recent releases. Yeah, and it is interesting. Also, of course, you tap such more broader global market by having entry points at that such price point. Tell me, though, I feel like the buzzword is also AI, right? And I was reading some great stories and coverage from you and from others talking about, I mean, apparently I can get an AI bird feeder. I can get an AI-focused baby carriage, a fatigue-fighting wristwatch. What are some of the Stroller. more extraordinary yeah. things that you're seeing at the moment, Ed, on the floor? So last night was really weird. Arnold Schwarzenegger was on stage. David Hasselhoff was in a video. But the reason being is BMW tapped their sci-fi inner side. We'll get to that later in the show. The other big name is Panasonic that really focus on automotive tech as well. The Japanese electronic giant, no exceptions, kind of the rules that are going. New Alexa capability was their deal for in-car infotainment. But remember, Panasonic's main business here in North America is battery cell business. Its biggest client, Tesla, is top of mind. And I spoke to the North America CEO, Megan Wang Wan Lee. This is what she had to say. We're all about customers. Panasonic is in our business in U.S. for 60 years, as a company 100 years. We really focus on technology and solution for customers. We love our partners, but we really want to deliver a product and technology and service that fits customer needs. That's what we focus on. When you make an announcement like this mm -hmm. at CES, it's supposed to be a consumer electronics show, right? right? It's about forward-looking. Right. But does a product like that make you more competitive? Does it give you a pipeline of business? Um, yes, it does. And um, as a 100-years-old company, and we grew up with CES2, we have more than 50 years of partnership with CES and CTA. And our uh, message this year is sustainability. And Right. You were yeah. on the front cover of CES magazine. I know. Thank Cal you very much. Penn yes. is on stage. Yes. Why? He's our climate ambassador. And uh, what he brings and what he's passionate about and what we want to do is nice alignment uh, for our message. So what we're demonstrating on the floor and our message is we believe in our core uh, belief is contribution to society with technology. And I am and we are really excited that this year is all about sustainability for the future but also for the current as well. Our biggest business in North America right now is EV battery. We also right. made another announcement two months ago to invest additional $4 billion for Kansas, Kansas um, uh, for the second battery factory. Right. And with that, we have 4,500 employees as is, just focused in manufacturing EV battery. That's going to have another 4,000 employees. And we're really bullish about what we're doing in EV battery sustainability and electrification of transportation. You took us there. Let's stick with, okay. with EV batteries. We, we have to talk about Tesla. You know, the, the story around Tesla right now mm -hmm. is about concern for demand. Uh -huh. My question to you is, if 
there's a drop-off in demand for right. customers like Tesla. Right. Does that impact demand for Panasonic's battery cells? Mm -hmm. Or does a customer like Tesla mm -hmm. have to commit to some volume anyway, even if their demand for the end products drops right. off? We're not that concerned about that right now. Uh, we're trying to really provide the quantity and quality that Tesla is looking for. We have about 10 years of experience working with Tesla, which has been wonderful. Um, as a Japanese uh, 100 years old company, working with Tesla has been a wonderful learning experience. We also announced the partnership uh, with Lucid. Yes. And we are uh, diversifying our uh, contribution in EV battery uh, for this market. And, and we're not worried, we're very excited. Panasonic, North America CEO there. Meanwhile, we've got so much more coming from CES. Instacart CMO Laura Jones on the company's latest connected store technologies, including Capercart, that big purchase it made, and scan and pay feature. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. A little more from CES now because I get to catch up with the Instacart CMO, Laura Jones, asking about well, how the company is thinking more B2B than B2C at the moment, about becoming a technology solution for big companies. Take a listen. We're increasingly focused on becoming a retail enablement platform. And so in addition to our marketplace, which you described, that personalized shopping, we're also offering uh, technology to enable our grocery partners uh, to bring technology into their stores. So at CES, this year, we're showcasing our caper carts, which are AI computer vision enabled shopping carts that let consumers check out as they shop. We're also showing electronic shelf tags, carrot tags, that help consumers and Instacart shoppers more easily find what they're looking for. And we're also showcasing some integrations between our app and that hardware. So for example, lists, your shopping list that you'll have on Instacart, you can also access if you're shopping in store. So that'll be a great integration that really recognizes the fact that customers increasingly are shopping both online and in store. Also another way in which Instacart's been trying to pull the levers of growth is by 
advertising in and of itself on the platform. You as CMO, I'm sure, deeply integrated in this. Tell me about how you're looking to make that process easy, how you're looking to make that evolve for the users that you have. Yes, we love that our platform can help our customers discover new brands that they'll fall in love with and that will become part of their weekly shopping routine. And so we have a, a really robust suite of advertising products, um, everything from kind of our classic sponsored products all the way through to new launches like Shoppable Video that lets brands really tell a more fulsome story um, and, and act more like a mid-funnel solution in our app to inspire users who might not have considered that product to add it to their cart. And what's great is because we're a closed loop system, you can really track and the efficacy of these ads in a way that's quite unique. Data is still the key currency. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. Ed Ludlow, he's in Las Vegas at CES. And Ed, I mean, what, 100,000 or so people there? But you must be bumping into a fair few pretty senior executives, right? Yeah, it's interesting. We kind of joked about how automotive technology dominates, but you do have Samsung here with their big splashy displays. There's a lot of emphasis as well on cybersecurity, which I thought was really interesting. I caught up with cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency chief and director Jen Easterly, who's basically trying to hammer home this message. If you're working on new tech right from the outset, you need to be focused on cybersecurity. This is what she had to say. This is fundamentally about keeping them safe. We live in a world that's highly connected, highly digitized. The infrastructure we depend upon is all underpinned by technology. And so it's a matter of actually doing right by your clients. But I think boards and CEOs and business leaders actually need to look at corporate cyber responsibility in the way that they look at corporate social responsibility. Cybersecurity, cyber safety is a social good. It's about societal resilience. And particularly with everything connected these days, you can't just worry about your own company. We have to stop putting self-preservation over collaboration. Think about the software makers in particular. Yeah. You know, you've been up on stage, your audience is sitting there, but beyond that, how do you encourage them to do this in parallel with writing code yeah. or developing new programs? Yep. introducing the cybersecurity aspect. Well, so there are many ways this are done. If you go back to the 1960s, actually everybody blamed car crashes on bad drivers. But then there was a whole movement about actually cars are unsafe at any speed because they don't have seatbelts, they don't have airbags, they don't have anti-lock brakes, they don't have crumple zones. So ultimately down the road, it may be a matter of regulation. But right now, what we need to do is to inform our consumers about their basic safety, and they need to be demanding radical transparency from these software makers about whether they're building software that is secure by design, so less and less flaws and defects, and secure by default with security features like multi-factor authentication baked into the product. So I don't have to tell my 90-year-old mom or my kid, oh, you've got to enable MFA. They have no idea right. what multi multi-factor authentication is. As well. yeah. You know, this is about consumer safety. And again, I love the innovation, but the incentives are skewed. We need to balance the incentives. And at the same time, leaders need to look at 
this cyber risk as a core business risk and their well, own responsibility. Can I ask what's motivating you to do this now? Is your agency seeing a ramp up in threats? Are there more things crossing your desk that's made you think, right, I actually have to start doing more to get this message across? Yeah, I've been doing this for a really long time. and. Every year they ask the same thing. Is it gonna be the same thing? Are we gonna just see more threats and more attacks and more ransomware? And frankly, I don't think that that is sustainable given that everything is increasingly digitized and connected. Six trillion dollars cybercrime damages last year, projected to be eight trillion this year, projected to be 10.5 trillion in 2025. That is the GDP of India, Germany, and the United Kingdom combined. We cannot continue to allow this to happen. It's not sustainable. And so we're really trying to motivate a movement where consumers are asking hard questions so that technology are thinking about safety as much as they're thinking about innovation, that core business, uh, business leaders and CEOs and boards are embracing corporate cyber responsibility as a matter of good governance, and frankly, trying to create a paradigm shift of how government and right. industry relate to each other. Well, I think about the world we're in right now the war in Ukraine being an example. Is the war in Ukraine driving an increase in ransomware attacks here in the United States, for example? No, I don't think it's driving an increase in ransomware attacks, but I do think it is a reminder that there are various serious threats out there, whether there's Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, or cyber criminals that are given safe haven and sponsored by some of these nations that can do significant harm to our businesses, but also you know, what we've seen from hospitals, what we've seen from K through 12 school districts. One of the things that I worry most about are what we call target rich, cyber poor entities. So that's schools, that's water facilities, that's hospitals that don't have the resources to be able to raise the baseline in cyber. So we're gonna spend this year really working with them to ensure they have the resource, the capabilities, the expertise, the technical guidance to be able to drive down risk. But in a world where technology is created secure by design and secure by default, we won't really have to worry so much about small businesses that are gonna get taken out because they're not putting cybersecurity in Sounds a bit like a team effort, place. right? It's There's a total lots team of effort. Agency. Really fascinating from Jenny Slee there. And I think it's so right to shine a light on those perhaps that don't always be able to invest in cybersecurity. And many worry as we enter a downturn, Ed, that maybe people would pull back on that sort of spending. And it's probably the most area that people need to invest in, particularly if you're a financial services company. But I'm interested as to who, yes. who is she speaking to? Who is her audience at CES when she's coming to those sorts of events? Yeah. I mean, when I asked her about the motivations, right, she talks about protecting the consumer. You know, that is an incentive for the private sector to act to make sure cybersecurity is top of mind when they're, they're working on their latest technology. But actually what I heard was that that was a message to the private sector, right? She's saying, hey, and I, you know, Jen's a rock star in this world, not just kind of a government official, but a rock star in the world of cybersecurity. And what I heard was private sector, you need to get on board with this and get your act together. And that's fortunate, Caroline, because we can continue this conversation with CrowdStrike CEO, George Kurtz. And what's more is actually, you know Jen very well. Yes. Um, do you agree with that, that, that Jen's message was to you, frankly, that you, the private sector, but also those outside of cybersecurity need to be doing a lot more? Yeah, it might have been more to Microsoft, but you have to ask her in terms of building right. software by design. But I think as a 
as an industry, um, you know, we have to have security built by design. And we're at CES, and I think a big part of it is there are many different consumer devices that come to the consumer not secure out of the box and not looked after for their lifetime. And, and that becomes problematic and creates risk in the environment. Microsoft, what did you mean by that? Well, when you look at the, uh, the technologies that are in play and a lot of the exploits that happen, they're on Microsoft technologies. I mean, it Patch Tuesday is, you know, how many vulnerabilities can we patch? So uh, many of the big breaches that we've investigated and report on have exploited Microsoft technology. So I think what she was saying, and I was on the panel with her today, yes, you are, yeah. right, which was like, you can't blame the victim. In other crimes, we don't blame the victim, mm. right? In cybersecurity, it's like, well, they didn't patch, they didn't do this. Well, how did that vulnerability get there in the first place and creating secure software by design is really important for the consumer and the enterprise. George, let's talk a little bit about safety and indeed where the threats are indeed coming from. For 2023, are we seeing anything novel, anything new, any new kind of attackers, any new players within this game? Well, when we think about 2023 and a, a challenging macro environment, what we have to look at is during a recession, and I've been through many of them, uh, I've been doing security for a long time, cyber uh, adversaries tend to get more active. Cybercrime goes up. Why? Because we've seen it. You've reported on the layoffs in tech and in other places. Whenever people are coming and going, there's always an opportunity to abuse that identity. When people aren't minding, quote, the store and looking after systems, there's opportunity for these crime actors. So we think it's even more important uh, as we get into a challenging environment that cybersecurity is front and center for large and small companies and of course the consumer. I want to ask you the same question I asked Jen, which is where are the threats coming from? You know, I asked about the war in Ukraine and whether there was a direct correlation with the war in Ukraine and a ramp up in activity in ransomware. As an example, she said, no, that's not the case. But we keep hearing, well, the threat's there. That's what's motivating her to speak. So where are they coming from, the threats? Well, we break the threats, threat actors into three different groups. We have nation state actors, we have e-crime, and we have hacktivism. Right, just a simple way to think about it. So the nation state actors, Russia, China, North Korea, et cetera, Iran, um, are always gonna be active. Uh, whether it's good times, bad times, war, not war, they're always gonna be out there. And when we think about Russia, I would, th I would say many thought there would be more activity around the UK Ukraine conflict, but it's not like Russia forgot what they were doing. They're still very active in this environment and collecting information, maybe not as destructive as we thought. Then you turn to e-crime. E-crime is a huge business. Jen talked about it. Uh, it's really ransomware as a service, e-crime as a service. You really don't need to understand anything almost about technology. You can buy access from an access broker. You can buy a ransomware from a ransomware as a service. By the way, there's a revenue share on that as well. They've got their own business model. So they actually collect a piece of that revenue. And then at the end of the day, you just assemble it together, you execute your campaign, and you can make a lot of money without a lot of risk. George aside from attackers own revenue streams talk to us about yours because as people do dial back spending R&D and maybe their own cybersecurity during a period of downturn we have seen for example your own revenue at CrowdStrike hit by that are you feeling that the worst is over are you worried as you go into 2023 
Well, when we think about when we go into 2023, obviously uh, many companies have seen headwinds, uh, you know, lengthening sales cycle, those sort of things. Um, as, as other companies, enterprise, SMBs, evaluate their own, uh, their own budgets. But at the end of the day, when I think about security, it is a very resilient industry. And for me, the hierarchy of needs and corporate needs, it's like shelter. You have to have security, whether by regulation or by business resiliency. And one of the things that Jen and I spoke about was really that it's a board issue. The board is looking at business resiliency, not just the annoyance of someone's uh, a single computer being impacted. We've seen companies literally get taken off the map for weeks and months on end because they didn't have the resiliency in their cybersecurity program. We're only five days into 2023. George Kurt, CEO of CrowdStrike, we'll have you back, Caroline and I hope, at some point again this year. Mobileye, the self-driving startup spun off from Intel, says revenue from automated driver assistance systems will total more than $17 billion through 2030. Earlier, Mobileye CEO Amnon Shashua told me about their ambitious plans. I think what, what we're telling investors is if you look at the pipeline, the booked business pipeline going forward is significantly higher than the guidelines that we are giving in 2022. Right. For example, the design wins of this year, of 2022, account for $6.7 billion of booked business, which is four times more than the guideline, than the guidance for 2022. It means that you know, when we look at our growth going forward, it is very, very significant. Significant also in our ASP, in terms of the dollar per car that, right. that Mobileye is receiving. Is, is, is doubling as, 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 we go, uh, as we go forward. For example, this $6.7 billion accounts for about 60 million chips design wins this year, so it's about $100 ASP compared to $50 ASP of today. Well, what drove those wins, though? Was it the idea that you kind of spun off from Intel and suddenly mobilized in the headlines and all these automakers and tier one go, oh, I want to do business with them? Yeah. Or was that kind of already in the works, that, that pipeline of business? No, I think visibility will play a significant role as we go as we go forward, but we are only three months after the IPO, so it's not visibility that played a role here. It is things that have been in the work, Especially, we launched a very significant product called Supervision in China. Supervision. Supervision. Stop and tell me what Supervision is. Is this full autonomy or is this a driver assistance technology? So legally, it's a driver assistance technology, but it's really full autonomy. So the way it works together, the way to imagine it is really the ultimate evolution of driving assist. Driving assist today is a front-facing camera, sometimes the radar. Right. Now imagine you have 360 degree awareness, eight megapixels, or 11 cameras of 11 megapixels around the car, providing huge resolution of uh, data to, uh, to high performance computing. You build a full you know, environmental model, detailed environmental model, and now you can drive autonomously. And is this real? Why it's in consumer cars today? 70, 70,000 70, vehicles in China already. Okay. Uh, this is from a single brand. We have a booked business for nine brands over six OEMs, launching starting from this year up to uh, 2025. But when you say this year, do you mean vehicles that roll off the production yes, yes, line yes. in 2023, 2023 and they carry this technology? They carry this technology. So from the driver experience, it's kind of full autonomy, but from a legal 
it is eyes on. You need to be you need, you need to be alert because there could be all sorts of black swans or right. you know edge cases in which the driver is it to limited control. to China as a market or jurisdiction, or are you rolling this out globally? No, we're rolling this out globally. It's starting in China, rolling this out globally. And how much of a contributing factor is supervision? to that $17 billion forecast through 2030? So it accounts for 3.5 billion. Okay. But really the interesting number is that we started deploying supervision only six months ago. So during 2022. And in, during this six months, we have nine brands, six car OEMs with booked business for this product. Which ones? Give me some names. I, I can't mention the oh, names. It's not that important, but it's really global. This is the it's first not... time you've seen me since 2020. Yeah. Yes, but still. <laughs> you know, car makers have their own agenda of when to re release. I know. Uh, uh, but I don't think it's critical who it is. It, what is critical, it's global. It's in Europe, it's in the US, it's in China. Uh, so it's really, it's really global. And what is also important about supervision, it's really a bridge towards full autonomy, towards what we call eyes off, where you can legally disconnect from, uh, from driving. Because if you invest in supervision, going from eyes off is really becoming incremental, adding active sensors, a bit more compute, and that's it. Oh, he wasn't taking your bait, Ed. 2020, the last time I saw you, it wasn't going to name names. But of course, I mean, that's reason that he's at a consumer conference, right? Because yeah. Mobilize isn't known by a consumer. It's just what's in your car already. Yeah, to cut through the jargon, Mobileye makes chips or system-on-chips, uh, which provide some kind of advanced driver assistance, but they sell them directly to the car makers, or at least to their tier one suppliers. But what's interesting is this goes back to the whole theme. This is real, their product is real, mm. and they're ramping up their output of it. And it's kind of a departure from the CES of the past, where all of this stuff is concept-related, or it's so distant. And I found that quite refreshing. And to be honest, if you walk around the halls here, there are lots of names that a consumer wouldn't recognize, but they do have tangible products and I find that fascinating. Yeah, I mean AMD is one of the keynote speakers and not many who yes. use a phone or use a technical device particularly know it's an AMD chip or not but I suppose to all of this it speaks to getting their name out there, ramping up and as we were talking about yesterday with Keith, it's all about pragmatism this year, right? Even if I can say the word pragmatism. Maybe a little bit like how the rest um, of the market's feeling. Meanwhile, yeah, pragmatism and profit, that's the way. Yeah. All the P's. Meanwhile, we've got a P coming up, a president, no less, but it's Technalysis Research President. Chief Analyst Bob O'Donnell is joining us from CES. Mr. Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment, 
Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's wrap up today's coverage of CES 2023 and all the unveilings with Bob O'Donnell, President and Chief Analyst at Technalysis Research. You and I are back here in person for the first time yes. since 2020. What is your reaction to what you see around? Well, you know, I was I came into the show kind of curious to see would it really come back? Would it this be the Did CES? Yes. Kind of, right? I mean, I look around the main floor and it's pretty busy. Uh, actually, some of the other places I've been uh, in the Venetian, for example, were actually busier. Um, so, but the energy is there, right? There's a lot of energy. And, and I think what we're seeing in general is that, uh, as you were discussing in the last segment, a lot of things are kind of more practical. They're, they're finishing the ideas that were brought up a couple years ago, right? We had a lot of big visions uh, yeah. in 19, you know, 19s and early 20, 20, and now it's like we've got to finish these things. It's not as exciting from a news perspective, hmm. but it's practical. It's practical. It's perhaps profitable. Tell you what's also practical is we went out to our audience to just see and hear what they think of this year of CES, whether they're excited about it, whether they're being more practical in what they're expecting to hear out of it, Bob. And overall, we our Twitter poll results were that, yes, in fact, that they are caring about what's going to be happening out of CES. They're paying attention to the announcements. So 38%, that was the majority. But I have to hand it to you that, like, unfortunately, it's pretty, it was pretty evenly split. 34% say, no, they don't think it's going to be too busy. They're not worried about the announcements. And then a third of the people we asked basically said, what is CES? So for those 28% who don't know what it is or why they should care, what this year should they be listening for? What this year will they hear out of CES? Well, you know, to me, Carolina, Caroline, part of the issue is around AI becoming really mainstream. And we're seeing that in a lot of interesting ways. We see it in small levels. We see it in things like, you know, John Deere did the keynote this morning and their tractors and the things that they do and the AI they're using there. We see it in the new chips. You mentioned AMD and Intel. They are integrating AI processing now. Uh, obviously, the impact of things like ChatGPT and DALI have opened people's eyes to what AI can do. And so all of a sudden, I think there's a lot more recognition that, hey, this theoretical thing that we've been talking about is now very real and it's going to have an impact. And we see it playing out in other small ways, like just making things easier to use yeah. and, and adapting to how we use them. Talk to us about efficiencies, easier to use, interoperability as well, because for many, they've all got the household gadgets, but none of them actually talk to each other. This seems to be something that people are really now tackling with AI too. Yeah, well, and you know, one of the big stories uh, out of the show is around what's called the Matter standard, and it's a it's a technical standard. It's just a way for devices to communicate with each other in a smart home. But what's why it's important is it allows things from Amazon and Apple and Google to all start to work together. In the past, those were completely separate ecosystems. Now you can get all these devices working mm -hmm. together and a bunch of other players, and that's new right. and that's different. There are exhibitors here. There are big 
big tech companies are also bankers, investors, analysts. You can't get away from the headlines. Are people talking about Amazon layoffs? Yeah, I mean, it's a big story. And interestingly, I just met with Amazon Devices Group right before I came here, in fact. And I, you know, I asked them about that. And they were like, look, we are still very much committed because they've been driving a lot. Obviously, with Alexa, uh, and a lot of the rumors have been about that Devices Group. But they were like, look, you know, the whole Devices Group isn't going away. Yes, we're being asked to refine things and focus on the things that matter. And matter, pardon the pun, happens to be one of them. Right. Uh, but they also have announcements around Sidewalk, which is their another smart home technology capability, uh, all of which are designed to ultimately allow people to actually use these smart home devices in a way that's more intuitive. Very quickly, one product you're looking out for, what is it? Um, I would say I'm actually most curious to see the PC chips from AMD and Intel and the PCs they enable. There you go. Ah, oh, Bob, great to have your voice back on. Of course, Bob O'Donnell, President and Thanks, Chief Analyst man. at Technalysis Research. Get, let him get his steps back in as he marches through the vast quantity of exhibitions. And Ed, we want to thank you. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. But stick with Ed. He's there on social media, but also he's still in Vegas for CES for the conversation with the Delta CEO, Ed Bastian. The two Eds, lock horns. You don't want to miss it. Plus, don't forget to check out our podcast. Find it on The Terminal, on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeart. From New York, from Las Vegas, this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.